Welcome to Still Here, the show dedicated to exploring the inspirations and motivations, helping true believers and builders push through the bear market to usher in the next wave of Web3 innovation and adoption. I'm Alexander Guy, and I'm thrilled today to, be, to speak with Jakob Bruschetsky. Jakob is the founder of Social Graph Ventures, a venture now investing into the app of middleware layer of Web3 Social. Prior to that, he has worked on the Symmetrical, a Gen Z investment and consulting DAO, a collectible DAO, a media NFT collector's DAO, a lot of DAOs. Since joining the space full-time, he has produced numerous videos uh, around the topic of the creator economy, consumer crypto, and Web3 Social. Jakob, welcome to Still Here. Thank you very much for having me. Hello. Oh, I, I have to say, before I get into this, that like I, I think I fell victim to hubris. I was touting off-camera my ability to read this intro in one take, and I screwed it up. I stumbled over my words for once, so sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. It, it was still fine. It was still fine. <laughs> Thanks so much for, for joining. It's really great to talk to you. Yeah, glad to, glad to be here and, and sort of dive into why are we all still here, huh? Well, hey, you know, it's, it's an important question, I think. I think still it's an important question. I mean, I, I think that, like... So first of all, when I, you know, when you sent me through your bio, I see like many different types of DAOs um, kind of like behind a lot of the different things that you've worked on in the space. And it's, it's a, it's a like sort of a, a lot of different types. It's not like one consistent type. It's not one consistent DAO. And like, maybe it's helpful before we get into anything, um, you know, too meaty to just sort of talk about like why. DAOs became specifically attractive to you? Like, was that your first entry point in the space or were you already kind of active playing around doing things and then sort of joined a couple of DAOs and got in, involved? Just maybe just a little bit about how that became a, a part of your, your, your background. Yeah, absolutely. So like, I think DAOs happened. So the way it started is it, you kind of come into the space very much solo. Uh, trying to figure out your own things. Uh, you know, the first time I heard about crypto was this like Russian kid in my school many years ago in, in the UK. And he was like mining Bitcoin in his dorm room. Uh, and that was like my first encounter. And then I was like, okay, but like you buy drugs with it. And that's kind of the, the whole use case. And then I kind of <laughs> forgot about the space. Um, and fast forward to 2018, where I made my first investments and 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 made the stupid mistake of, of being a tourist and not really understanding it. And I think at that time, the general motivation was like, oh, you can get rich of that um, and invested somewhere around the peak. And then in you know, 2020, um, things like I, I started appreciating the, the space much more, uh, sort of having much more context and a much more deeper understanding of what it's all about. I remember the early days of like, and, and this is still the case with, a lot of my friends, which are non-crypto, they're like, this is so fucking complicated. We don't know how to understand that. And I, I was at that spot at some point around 2018, 2019. I remember I had a very long drive uh, from Poland to Italy. And I was just listening to like the Unchained podcast or these very sort of generic podcasts to try and understand it. It was just like, you know, 10 hours of drive trying to understand as much as I can. Um, and... You know, I, I was building up this conviction, started investing a lot in the space. I was actually very drawn to the metaverse thesis and the idea of like applying like the same rules as you have in like physical real estate around land scarcity and trying to create these new business models, new old business models in the digital world. Um, and, you know, peak bullishness times, I think 2021, I was, it was, I was in my first job, like a first real job, graduated pretty recently. Um, and, and I started like buying up land in the central land, started investing much more into crypto. Um, and obviously, you know, that was a time to feel very bullish and, and think that you're a, you're a genius. And, and I had this, like, you know, I had this moment where definitely my crypto side hustle was taking up a lot more time, uh, than I could have allowed for it. And then I had this like reasonably safe health tech job, uh, that I was doing and, you know, I, it was just this like obvious move for me to like, I felt super excited about crypto and I felt really bored about what I was doing there. Um, so I decided to, to, to quit my job, go into crypto full time. And, you know, I knew that 
there's these like these cycles that come into crypto the, that the bear market is inevitable and people will no longer want to spend you know upwards of 10 ETH on some random PFP and 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 also I I knew that even with the the metaverse and, and like things such as decentralized like this this excitement is going to fizzle out and I started reading articles around like how can you stay in this space you know I've made this kind of brave move. I'm not no longer going to be taking a salary. I'm going to try and figure out my own things out in crypto. And the very recurring theme was uh, join a DAO, start contributing to a DAO. That's how you can stay in the space for longer. And that's exactly what I did. Um, and I think that's why they've been such a such a recurring theme. But I also think that like DAOs as a as a concept have a lot of advantage. Like you know, there's this cliche saying like if you want to go like go fast you go by yourself and if you want to go far go together and i think that's that's kind of the the beauty of, of DAOs is, is having this community with with an aligned uh idea around things aligned incentives um and and i think that's why they've been so recurring but it's also because the more i got exposed to DAOs, the more sort of DAO believers and DAO lovers i met and it were kind of you know in this uh reassuring ourselves that like this is the right way to go yeah what do you think well, actually, I want to go come back on something because like this jump, right? Um, talked to, uh, with a couple of guests on the show already about this. This this uh, first of all, the learning curve you mentioned, um, especially if you're trying to just break into this 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 industry, this space. If you're trying to like figure it out, even like I'm not even talking about for like a job, um, just to learn what is happening. There is a huge amount of investment that has to happen up upfront like time investment, not money necessarily, but like literally like, what is this thing? How do I make sure I don't make mistakes? You know, we, we have a, I think as an industry, it's cool that we learn by doing a lot, but oftentimes that means that people make a lot of mistakes and there's a huge learning curve attached. Um, you know, the, the space in general onboarding is, is not particularly smooth. Um, but I think I'm, I'm curious more about like the, I don't know how to say this, like the, emo the emotional side of that decision. Like, did you experience a lot of any kind of doubt? Like, were you like a hundred percent confident? Like, did you, did you make this decision, do the, you know, sort of jump off the deep end and then sort of go, okay, you know, come what may, or was there like a lot of waffling? Like, what was that experience of doubt? Like getting into whatever crypto is full time? <laughs> well, the first, yeah. So let, let, going back to that 2021, uh, I think I personally had a lot of conviction I knew that this is not that this just the space is not going to be as booming uh, like throughout the years that that I've already been here. Um, I think you know I, I I understood the technology enough. I've spent a good amount of time um, kind of doing it as a side hustle and still having a job. And I knew that like if I really want to make something meaningful, this is not something that I should do uh, do on the side. And I also had this like perhaps stupid FOMO of like missing 2018 and, and like, you know, when the, when, when the, well, missing kind of leaving in 2018 and missing the the bear market, which I think is a great opportunity for you to establish those relationships, to, to build these new things. And I kind of missed that whole space between 2018 and kind of 2020, 2021. Um, and, and that was another reason is like, I remember in uh, in Paris when when you were recording this, uh, you know, why are you still here? And I said because I'm no not a, no no longer a tourist. And that's exactly like something that was kind of my north star. Is like, you know, it, I don't think crypto is no longer a, a question of if but when. Uh, there's a lot more built out that we know this is eventually going to happen. So that kind of gave me a, a lot more sort of security and and feeling just safer around it. Um, but I just Ne didn't want to miss this again. I I would be so angry with myself if if I would um, you know be there in 2020 2021, leave again, have some shitty sort of biochemistry medicine related job because that's what I did at university, be quite unhappy there, and then come back to the space again, fomoing in and and just yeah. Um, I think I wouldn't sort of forgive myself that. Um, that's something that kind of kind of led me there. So. On my on a personal level, there wasn't any uncertainty. There's always been an uncertainty around like how do you start generating money, uh, and especially in the bear market, and 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 that was stressful. And and obviously, you know, family pressures as well. Uh, 
this is not a traditional career. Uh, I've done a year and a half of normal, more traditional work. And then I was like, no, this is truly not for me. Um, I'm not excited about it. I'm going to do something of my own. And I think there was a lot of pressures around that kind of trying to force me back into like, do something a little bit more normal. Mm. Yeah. There's just a lot of what you said that resonates with me. Like my, you know, I had this moment in ETH Denver last year where I'd been like professionally working in the space for long enough where ETH Denver was this like moment where I realized that like I knew a lot of people in this space and like because we're so online, I'm not, you know, it's not like I'm some big shot or something like that. It's just that I had this experience of being like, oh, here's a friend. Here's a friend. Here's somebody else I know and I've spoken to before. Here's this other partner we have. And like I was just walking around this like extremely large um it's a it, the venue that they have now is like a, it's like a, a rodeo hall you know in denver it's like where they have like you know thousands and thousands of people for these like rodeos and like you know horse shows and things like that out west and i had this experience of just like con- felt like i was constantly bumping into somebody who i knew who had this you know same same kind of conviction and belief that that i did in the space and it was just like a really like um uh, exciting moment for me, Denver last year, just to like be surrounded by all these people who had the same kind of belief in what we were doing. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know how else to say it. But the other thing that you know, and I think it's actually a good transition into to some of the things you've been doing in the space since since you kind of made that 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 decision to kind of jump it headfirst into this, um, which is about like money and like how to make money. I wanted to talk a little bit about the symmetrical because I think it was a really cool project that you and LDF worked on. Where at least like one of the things that you were kind of thinking about and trying to unpack was how creators in this space, how creators in crypto actually go about making money, like how they actually go and do this. I guess like you can talk a little bit about what the symmetrical was and like kind of where the idea came from. But I'm also interested in is like, why was it important for you to understand that like route to to financial stability or at least like some sort of financial validation maybe for for your ideas as a creator? Um, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to just go into the symmetrical? Yeah, absolutely. So first things like that, that was the first DAO I joined. I actually joined as a, let's say a a regular kind of member. Uh, It was my, my ex co-founder. She was starting it. I was uh, looking for DAOs to join after reading all of these articles and like, you know, all about how can you stay in the space? And um, I remember syndicate, uh, syndicate.io, which is kind of this platform for investment clubs was like posted a tweet that, like someone is making this like Gen Z DAO and like, if you want to join, like reach out to them. And I, I reached out um, and, you know, very quickly joined, uh, took over the investments team and then hopped in as a co-founder there. And I think, you know, Symmetrical has been an incredible learning and, and you know, it's it's still going. Uh, it Like we still do investments and, 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 and like meet up. Uh, we met up in Paris and, and things like that. But, you know, the, the general thing here is that um, we were going through sort of multiple iterations. I think we rode, we still rode the wave of like DAOs are the future, the DAOs are the future of work. Uh, and, and we were trying to find the right business model for us. Um, and we made a shitload of mistakes on the way, but, you know, we started as an investment club. We did a bunch of consulting for some projects that unfortunately aren't even around anymore, uh, but they paid us and we realized, wow, like people want to pay Gen Z for like marketing help and product feedback and things like that. And as we were like sort of iterating through through multiple ideas, we ran a grants program, which I think was huge for for what 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 happened after Symmetrical. Um, we we also did a lot of content, just trying to figure out like first of all ourselves whether we can produce content that's like compelling enough for people to actually want to collect it. And then you know we came to a conclusion. Actually, it's not that easy, at least not yet. Um, uh, and, you know, we, we were like, okay, like, probably we should just try and answer this question of like, where's the money in the creator economy? That's somewhere around the time where LDF joined. And, and you know, both Zarion and, and Lens have, have helped us there with, uh, with a sponsorship. So we, we do appreciate that. We're kind of mid-pivot on that one. Um, we did a couple of episodes. And what we realized is you're actually unable to like, be a Web3 native content creator 
I mean, there's this very, very small percentage of people. There's like the beeples and, and, and the artists that are able to, to produce content that sells and pays their bills. Um, but, you know, I think the big promise of Web3 Social is around the, it, it's kind of these things like the, the essay of like a thousand true fans or a hundred true fans, even you could, uh, you could argue. Um, and around that, uh, I think the idea for Web3 Social and the big promise is that this is not going to be skewed or look like such a pyramid of like the very top, top less than 1% actually being able to make a living and the rest uh, sort of just kind of doing it as a hobby and not being able to take it on full time, having to take up full jobs. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, a big unanswered question. I think we're still far away uh, when it comes to, to actually being able to, to generate that revenue that, that can pay your bills. And I think there just isn't enough people around to, to be able to do that. Yeah, we haven't hit that critical mass, you know, of of users that can help sustain the amount of potential creators in the space. Um, exactly. What I think is happening, I mean, I am massively uh, bullish on like on-chain media, uh, but my perspective as like, you know, a chief marketing officer for a, a project is that like what I see is the potential for us as a team and as a company to like engage with a, a wider group of people who may or may not be using our products specifically. So I see it as like a way to engage and build like a, a, a sphere of influence. But if I were an individual creator, you know, operating alone, it's true that the content and like, it, it, it's much, much, much harder for an individual person to think about how to make a, a living doing this stuff these days, it seems. And I think you probably you see that on like these platforms Although we can talk about pods in a second. I really want to get into that. Not just because I want to understand what pods is about, but like, I'm curious like about, um, maybe, maybe, it, maybe it's helpful regardless of the creator side of things to think about Web3 Social broadly and talk a little bit about Social Graph Ventures, which is a relatively new project that you're, you're, you're leading. Um, so I guess like first we can, you know, maybe just give a TLDR on like what Social Graph Ventures is. Um, and then also like, maybe thinking about Web3 Social as a, from a use case perspective, like what, what, what is Web3 Social good for? I guess is like the way I want to ask this, although it's not particularly uh, articulate. Um, yeah. So social graph ventures, and then maybe like what, what is social, what is Web3 Social really built to solve? Yeah. So kind of distilling all of all of the things that we've done, at the symmetrical, you know, I mentioned grants, we were giving out grants and, and, and kind of, we thought this is going to be consumer grants, but all of them were, were, were three social projects or pretty much all of them. Um, you know, we've launched collectible DAO, which is a media NFT collectors DAO. And, and, and we realized that media NFT and on-chain media is truly at the core of a web three social experience. Um, and then we've produced, a, you know, a ton of content, uh, through with, with LDF, with, with other members of the symmetrical, um, around the topic. So we really understood the space well. And I, myself, I actually always wanted to go into investments, uh, is always like my thing. Um, so, so I, I knew that like, that's the direction I want to be, be heading into. And we just, you know, started researching the space of, of like web three social, you know, this was up and coming thing. We used lens multiple times for like, you know, the videos that we posted, all of these series, the product roasts that I've done. Um, so, so we wanted to kind of understand whether there's like something investable there. And, and what we saw there is that the social protocols or social graphs, the lenses, forecasters, and cyber connects are, are really well funded, but um, we can see a huge gap in funding when it comes to, to apps and middleware. That's where, you know, there isn't really a single other dedicated investment vehicle aside of social graph ventures that is solely focusing on Web3 social. Um, and, and, and just capital is much more scarce. And both on the side of these social protocols, um, I think if they want to have a lot of value further down the line, they need to have a thriving DAP ecosystem around them. Um, and that, that's kind of you know, part of the reason, like we want to make Web3 social work, but we don't think it's through funding protocols themselves. I think they, they can get the funding. It's through helping these application and middleware builders. Um, so yeah, we're we're an investment DAO, which is also something unique, and yet another DAO in in my history of of, yeah. of, of, crypt, of crypto work. But I think you know this is, has 
this has like it, it's such a better design especially for these smaller investment vehicles um the sort of we we're about 40 members right now and we've got incredible funds uh we've got you know hydro ventures we've got 1kx uh polymorphic is joining us um and and then we have uh you know uh social builders we have Eric from LifePeer, we've got people from Lens, Stanning and Christina are, 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 are sort of involved on, on Lens's side. We've got the founder of CyberConnect. We, we truly have like the kind of who's who of Web3 Social. And, you know, and also one very important one to, to mention is, is Mask. They're like truly OGs when it comes to, to, to Web3 Social. Uh, they've been around the space even before Web3 Social has been a thing. And they kind of are great around like they also have a good understanding of DWeb. Um, which is kind of the, let's say, previous or, or slightly different uh, design uh, philosophy around that. But um, this has given us such incredible advantage when it comes to approaching founders and kind of showing them, you know, who's our members, who can help you build this out, who are our, uh, our uh, like, you know, the sort of, we give pretty small check sizes and then you get exposure to such a huge group of people that can truly help you accelerate your startup. And also the, you know, when it comes to like due diligence, uh, especially being like a first time fund manager for myself, I, I have 39 different people with unique perspectives that have been in the space for a super long time. Being able to like give me such a different perspective on like a specific investment makes me understand it better, perhaps change my opinion on what we should do about it. So, so that's why I think, you know, DAOs are incredible, uh, especially from, from an investment DAO perspective, but kind of zooming back into, cause I kind of went off piste here. No, um, actually I wanted to, I wanted to ask a question based on that. Uh, don't, yeah, don't apologize ahead. at all. It's, it's honestly interesting. I think that a criticism of DAOs kind of as an entity, as entities is that they sometimes, um, stall with decision-making and things because of the amount of like cooks in the kitchen. And you just raised this point of having like effectively 39 other decision-makers. And I'm curious, you, you know, y'all just led uh, or led, maybe you were a part of Seed's, uh, Seems Seed Round. Seems new, actually really neat uh, Web3 social project. I really like it. Super modular. You can build your own kind of, kind of like Web3 MySpace in like, if you're old enough to remember MySpace, uh, like I am. Um, and like, so how does it, how, what, what's the decision-making process? Like, what is the due diligence? How does that process work from an investment DAO perspective? Um, do you face like massive disagreements? Like, how do you manage those disagreements? I, I'm just curious of like the interworkings of like, yeah, how that decision making process works with like forty decision makers on a on a given project. <laughs> yeah, so you know, it's I think if you think about like the first generation of investment DAOs, there was a lot of problems around that. Um, and yes, every single one of our members uh, is first of all committing capital to the DAO, and second of all, that's their sort of representative of their voting power. Uh, so this is something unique versus a, a small IC in a typical fund. Um, but when it comes to sort of, you know, making these decisions, we are, first of all, have worked and thanks to Hydra Ventures, who's kind of our, let's say, well, they're our incubation partner. They had helped us set up the, the legal entity and, and, and helped us, uh, helped us just truly structure it in the right way. Um, we are, first of all, incentivizing for a prolonged period of time, uh, uh, sort of being active in the DAO through helping with DD, providing deal flow, um, any operations, any of these things get rewarded uh, with something called the incentive pool. And I would say it's, it's somewhat similar to equity stock options. So you're basically able to increase your share over the DAO, in the DAO and your potential returns in the future, as long as you, you stay active. When it comes to like the decision-making, the way we do it is we, we, are pretty well organized and some of our investors have like decided to even increase their investment into us because how impressed they were with with the way we run it so we run weekly calls where we discuss all of the deals we have a telegram group where we discuss any of these things async we also run a crm with with kind of showing the deal progress etc and we it's it's about keeping people in the loop as much as you can um and what i mean by that is um you know People tend to like uh, sort of 
turn away from a DAO for, for some time. They couldn't commit that for like two weeks, they're gone. And we try to keep everyone on the same page on a weekly basis. And it's a lot of work. It's a lot of writing emails, summarizing what we've talked about on the call, uh, yeah. updating everyone for like announcements on, on, on Telegram. But I think, you know, we as so far we have done five investments and officially we've been around for a month, month and a half uh, and, and unofficially, let's say f- six months. Uh, and we've already done five investments. Um, so we are able to kind of build up this consensus through through discussions, through you know giving multiple places to 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 sort of yeah talk, talk about these the, the potential investments. And you know, Seam was one of the the places like uh, the the investments that we uh, we managed to to reach consensus, and we're super excited. You know, think that Nick is an incredible founder. Uh, I understand the MySpace vibes. I actually had a MySpace account run by. My brother's ex-girlfriend, because I didn't know how to use it. I was a kid, but I really wanted it because like my teenage brother had it. So I was like, yeah. I really wanted to. <laughs> but um, I think that, you know, the, the MySpace vibe is, is uh, it, it, it's, it's a fair point. I think there's like a lot more to seem. Um, I think, you know, it, it's truly, I think, the, a launch pad for, uh, for on-chain or online communities. And, and, and it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, I have my own profile it can be an organization has their own profile. Um, and it's kind of your one-stop shop for seeing all things related to, to, to a specific DAO, to a group of football fans. Uh, you know, you could potentially have a Zerion uh, scene website. Oh, we're, uh, <laughs> we're thinking about it, by the way, uh, FYI. <laughs> like, I, I think, you know, we're, we're so excited about this, like Nick kind of building this new, cooler internet. And, and I think one of the things that really like, uh, when, when we were having our initial conversations is Nick is a, 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 an incredible fa- uh, engineer from, from Meta, uh, his prior job. Um, and what he realized when it comes to, to Web2 Social, to the Instagrams, to Facebook, is there's a lot of context collapse there. And what he meant by that is your social graph within, for example, Facebook is your family members, your friends from camps that you went to 10 years ago, uh, your friends from school, some of your coworkers, the group of people, it, there isn't a single like piece of content that you can, unless it's like photos from your marriage that you can really post there. And like, it feels relevant for all of these groups. So people start churning away from it because they don't have this, like the right social graph to post the right things. And I think Seam will enable people to have build up new social graphs for different personas, uh, for different communities and, and kind of increase that, that engagement. Um, and, to say one last thing, you know, uh, people think like it's very much MySpace, and there's definitely some to that, something about that about these looks. But uh, actually, Social Graph Ventures, uh, we're 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 actually building our website. Uh, it's going to be on Seam. Uh, so, uh, and the process of building it is a lot of fun. But uh, that's what we kind of uh, decided for is is to to host it there. Yeah. Well, like you know what I think is so. Okay, this is a good transition into use cases in Web3 Social and perhaps like problems. Because like problems that Web3 Social solves. Because I, I think that like, you know, Web3 Social as like an industry or like a, a buzzword, um, no, subcategory maybe, is attractive, I think probably because maybe there is no, other than Google itself, there is no, um, perhaps no greater like, uh, culprit of like the the pitfalls of like traditional web two business models and uh, user abuse, uh, etc. Than you know web two social, right? Like the 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 mining of user data, the fact that all of this information is just willingly handed over um, and utilized potentially without users really understanding, at least initially especially initially, I guess now there's a lot more awareness, but even still, I mean, like TikTok is exploding as billions of users. Facebook is still Facebook. Twitter is still Twitter. X, sorry. X is still X. You know, there are perhaps no greater culprits of like the problems of like web two than like those created and then exacerbated by web two social companies. So clearly there's like a wrong that needs to be righted. Right. And so like, it makes sense that many builders, especially former builders, actually I talked to grace. Um, I know it's not strictly speaking web three social, but I talked to grace for this, for this show from unlonely. And she used to work at YouTube. 
and so then to hear Nick used to work at Meta, it's like these people who like were part of these other teams, you know, are starting to go, wait, 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 hold on a second. I've got to, we've got to, we've got to write this wrong. We've got to make, we've got to make this situation better. And so I think it maybe is helpful, especially from like your perspective as an investor in this space, you know, what types of um, use cases or, or problems with Web2, or maybe, maybe not just problems with Web2, but what, what kind of problems does like Web3 social potentially solve kind of at a, at a high level? Yeah. Um, so first of all, Unlonely is definitely a social platform. I, I was <laughs> going to ask you this. I totally agree with you, but yes, it, uh, I, I was going to ask 100% agree. Uh, love what they're building and, and they're definitely a social platform. This is definitely like within our thesis. Um, now, when it comes to like what Web3 social fixes and, and like how, what are the use cases? How, what, what does it do better? So I'd kind of kick things off with the ideals. Um, so things such as, you know, censorship resistance, you can't get deplatformed, it's decentralized, you know, you have full control over your feed and what you see on there. Uh, you know, you, you can deploy algorithms to curate a specific feed and there, there's great people building that, like, you know, Yassine from Embed, for example. Um, then there's obviously the, the, the creator economy part, which we think might work, but so far it's not working the way, way we intended to. Um, and, but I, I hope we'll get there. And then things like also payments. I think, you know, social payments, these cross-border payments, something that also crypto fixes, but I think it's very relevant to social, you know, we've invested into friends, messaging, and then going into payments, I think is a very, very exciting feature. Um, now kind of backtracking, I think censorship resistance, decentralization, all of these like algorithms to see your feed. So it's it's no longer Cambridge Analytica trying to like mash people and polarize people against each other during a, a an, an election or a referendum. Um, I think these are great for the idealists, for people that sort of believe in the philosophy that like Web2 Social is broken and it truly is. But I don't think enough people care about it. That's, that's kind of my problem. You only care about getting deplatformed where you're this not point not one percent of people that actually got banned and like lost their social graph. And I think you know these are great, but I don't think these are the things that will the use cases that will bring in uh, people into the space. Um, so I think like for me the most like exciting parts uh, right now is anything related to you know ownership. I think. For such a long time, uh, we've been online. We haven't had a real way to prove ownership of digital goods. And it's it's insane to me that it's been so recent. It's like somewhere around 2017 that we kind of understood the concept of like owning something and, and NFTs. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of cool things that can be done around ownership. Um, and, and that's the social use cases, you know, groups of collectors of, for example, pods with podcasts or whatever else you want to collect. It's on this on-chain media and creating these like social experiences around that. I think this is something that will be incredibly huge further down the line and, and something that like Web3 Social is the use case here. Second of all, I think it's these net new use cases. And uh, I know not like a lot of people think that like speculation is like not necessarily good, etc. But I think, you know, truly the intersection of finance and and these social experiences, these coordination games, is where we can also innovate and create these net new use cases. You know, people are not coming into Web3 Social, or at least masses of people will not come to Web3 Social because they'll have a, a Twitter-like client that's censorship resistant uh, and it's decentralized. I mean, no You're one cares. So right. You're so it's... right. People clearly don't care. That's why they keep using Facebook and Twitter. They don't. They don't care about this. Exactly, and I, I don't think we can truly like we can innovate on that. Mm -hmm. I don't think this is something that uh, that is going to bring in people. It's these new things that can happen, and and we can already see that like you know the rise of PWAs. Frenta kind of started it uh, with the help of like you know the guys from 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 Privy, and and since then look how many new PWAs have been created new new social experiences where you know draw tech where you're like painting over tiles i, I absolutely love the, the game it's like this mini game but it also has this like social component to it uh draw the chart uh also yeah. probably the beautiful the most beautiful P pwa i've i've ever seen uh like i've 
yeah, this, they're like best in class when it comes to design. And it's like prediction markets, but there's like a social aspect. You can see your friends, uh, how are they sort of stacking up against you on a specific uh, prediction on where will the well, where will the Ethereum price? So I think um, these are the, the things that there's new use cases, uh, which can be very social. I think a lot of things that we already know have happened in the past around like you know, gaming. So like moving into hyper-casual gaming, prediction markets, moving into like a much more social experience to it, uh, having an integration with Lens or Farcaster. Um, I think these are, are, are the kind of the, the new big, big use cases. And there's going to be obviously other things popping up, but that, that's kind of the, the, the things that I, I've been recently looking most into. Yeah, you know, th there's so many interesting things that that you're talking about here. But like ownership, you know, for us is is a big deal. Like we really like to think a lot about ownership as a, as a key criteria. Our, our mission is actually freedom through true ownership, you know? And I think that clearly a problem beyond like data mining and things like this that are popular on, or at least like popularly understood perhaps um, with Web2 Social is the idea of like authenticity. Right. And validation through ownership is clearly a way to like prove I am this person or I, I am legitimately able to do X thing or I am qualified to respond to this question. And like these are things that in like a traditional Web2 sense, it's like impossible. Anybody can say anything they want about anything. And like, you know, uh, on Twitter nowadays, it's even impossible. We have we have a, a Zerian. It, it must be the same person. They just keep creating new Twitter accounts, paying for the Twitter verification, and then like commenting on all of our tweets and being like, here's the new airdrop from Zerian. Here's the new airdrop from Zerian. There is no airdrop from Zerian. Don't click on this link ever. But they do a pretty good job of conning our, you know, like copying all of our branding and messaging and stuff like this. And they just retweet everything. So their feed looks like it's the Zerian feed. And, you know, it'd be really nice to just be able to, like, I guess Twitter has the subtle cues, like the gold checkmark versus blue checkmark and things like this that protect against this. But it's a little different than proof of ownership, right, as a way to validate that I am who I say I am or I've done what I say I've done. So this feels in incredibly interesting to me. But I also think that one thing that Web3Social brings up, and you can correct me if I'm wrong or just going off on a tangent, um, is like... I think previously our on, people were creating like an online persona and effectively like that was totally separate from a real life persona. And to a degree in crypto, this still happens. We talked a little bit off camera about anon personalities and, you know, identities and things like this. But it feels like to me that one definite like kind of uh, um, problem or, or something that, that Web3 Social solves for is this idea of like, I have a lot more control over like what my online identity is. And I also can bridge that gap between my, my, like my physical identity or my physical person and my online persona that I'm cultivating. And like, this again is through a lot of validation and like, I am an owner of this thing, or I have done this action. This is where on chain, just like sort of behaviors are extremely important. Like, you know, I mean, you know, you know that Evan and the Disco team, in terms of like verifiable credentials and like all of her whole things on this area, and it, and I think that just in general, it seems to me an exciting place to pursue or an exciting avenue to pursue with Web three social. That like even even taking that out toward with like Seam, the Seam example, like Seam doesn't dictate to the user what their page should look like. You have the ability to make it whatever you want will look like whatever you want, contain whatever information you want. This is like a, a total paradigm shift away from like the traditional Web3, Web2 social world, excuse me, where like everything is kind of like you have to fit into a mold of some degree. Am I am I just like completely missing this or just ranting and raving like a lunatic? Like am no, I no, hitting on the good points? You're right. It's like we, like we are able to basically like we can still – remain anon but uh we're definitely kind of tying this all into uh, in all of our activity is public on chain and that's a way to verify whether you're a human or not um and i think you know and even sort of another sort of more interesting point about that and proving who you are is going to be the sort of rise of ai um sort of generated content and realizing whether uh, a, a song so for example, you know, um, Grimes, 
and and whether she's allowed for this song and whether it's like legally done with her AI voice through Elf Tech or not. That's another place where like kind of crypto fits in it well. And this is going to be a huge part of social because social is a lot about, it's mostly about content and consuming content. Did you see this um, Instagram influencer who has like, I don't know, several million followers. It's like this AI um, Spanish woman, but she's not real. Like literally it was created by like an agency with, I can't remember which AI, whether it was mid journey or whatever, but like all of her photos, all the products she sells, everything is like artificial. And I do think that you're right, that kind of a reaction to this like explosion in AI generated content, AI generated personas, potentially in this case, you know, is the ability to go, yep, I'm a human, <laughs> like even like to be able to say that, or, like I legitimately made this post or like this was created without AI, like these types of validations are I think going to be more and more important because it's going to be harder to distinguish like human from non-human at some point, especially online where we can't like look people in the face. Um, and maybe even that, I mean, you've seen the like Zoom calls where it's like a, it's, it's a, you know, a, an avatar generated and you can have like Zoom calls with this, this person. We're getting closer to like that Joaquin Phoenix movie, Her, feels like by the day, uh, you know. Um, yeah. So it's, it's interesting to think about this. Um, one of the things that came up earlier and I, I want to get back to, you're talking a lot about like sort of the, maybe like the idealist version of Web3 Social and like even, even the broader like narrative around the space. And I think that maybe people who are like super involved in Web3 and like the new internet, as you and I are professionally like thinking about this, you know, all the time, this is not a new narrative, a new argumentation, a new like point for this type of innovation, these types of products. But I think for like the wider collective crypto conversation, if you hear crypto, people don't usually think about this type of stuff. People don't think about these things. I just wonder if like why these types of narratives are not something that like the typical human on the planet associates with like the word crypto. Because it clearly, at least it sounds like it was a motivation for you to get involved in this space. Like a lot of these kind of more idealist visions or, or, or like the, you know, utopian kind of uh, uh, visions for what the internet, versions of what the internet should be. Like, this is kind of a thing that pulled you in. It's certainly something that pulled me into the space. I'm just curious, like, why do you think that that narrative doesn't translate to the way that people typically talk about crypto if you're not like a all the time in this? Because people an average person doesn't understand what crypto is and like doesn't understand how a blockchain works and 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 think of crypto as like there's this like magic internet money and there's like bitcoin and probably ethereum and they heard about solana and maybe something else um and and that's kind of what they think crypto is because like that was the first use case and that's the most popular one and that's the one that's being discussed the most in media uh you know it's it's the speculation the fomo of like Bitcoin reaching a new all-time high. That's what people consider crypto. Um, and then there's NFTs, which also have a very shit rep, let's be honest, like <laughs> yeah. currently for an average really person. Worse if so someone's like, oh shit, are you like, Jacob, are you still like doing these NFT things? Are they kind of dead? I'm <laughs> like, well. Yeah, but uh, you lost like 100% of your net worth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so I think, yeah, like, the things that go out to mainstream media are the ones that the stories of getting super rich quick and right. suddenly a JPEG being uh, costing this and this amount of money. And no one is, you know, it's the, the work that's being done in the background, uh, the, the, the sort of the new things that aren't necessarily only about value of things and how price goes up, but actually about, you know, creating a completely new design on how can social networks work. Um, you know, realizing that ownership of NFTs doesn't necessarily have to represent that you have to 100 exit in two months. It can be something of a much more cultural significance. It's trying to rebuild a lot of these, you know, things we do in the physical world, collecting things, collecting stamps, you know, your tickets from your favorite concert, um, having them on your sort of cork board um, and trying to put them on chain, trying to make them uh, you know, be online. Um, and these stories just never break it to, to the mainstream media uh, because they're just not exciting enough media, like existing, like 
traditional media is all about these like very extreme stories. Right. It's also just like, I, I mean, honestly, even trying to explain a token to somebody who's not thinking about this all the time, it's just like, we talked about it at the, at the start, the amount of investment that you have to sort of make to learn about this is potentially off-putting or like at least certainly like, like turn some people away. Cause it's like, I don't have enough time for this. I'm not that interested in this. And so this is actually leads very nicely into potentially what could be the, the, the question in terms of web three social. It's like, I wonder if like, it's possible for currently possible for a web three social app to go like mainstream. Like, is it possible for that to happen given the fact that like, a lot of the motivations that would pull at least early users to it would not be a narrative that would necessarily draw normies to it, if that makes sense. I think, yes. I think, you know, we are in an app cycle right now. There's like the infrastructure has been built out and it's sufficient for us to like test these new, uh, have these new experiments, test these new, uh, new experiences, new products. And, you know, like, Shout out to sort of people doubling down on PWAs, uh, being able to bypass Apple's Apple just being a pain in the ass and, and limiting innovation in, in many ways. Uh, shout out to guys like like Zerion who just make a very friendly wallet, uh, but also shout out to, for example, Privy. Uh, you know, it's suddenly it, it doesn't require you to like have, for example, a MetaMask. You can like just play around with something. Drop it from your centralized exchange, like ten bucks, and like play around with this with this PWA. And I think, from an infrastructure perspective, I think we're almost there. And 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 even go uh, a little bit deeper here, like there's like these providers like like Privy, but then you can take a look at the guys that draw the chart and the way they're going even deeper than than the current like Privy integration that you can have, where you actually log in with Face ID. And like you make a transaction with Face ID on a PWA, um, and it's starting to feel a lot more like a traditional app. It's just a matter of funding it, uh, and 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 I think we're also realizing that these consumer applications, these these social apps, they they shouldn't be you shouldn't be spending uh, sort of three ETH or how, however much to actually play around with it. It should be yeah. these cheap games to like take a lot of people in. Let's see what happens. Let them play around. Uh, and then kind of iterate on that and, and experiment. So I think, I think we're almost there. I think you know, perhaps I'm I'm a little bit too zoomed in on on like the fact that uh, I've used PWAs multiple times. But even like the side loads, the the new regulation around being able to have like a, 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 an alternative app store is is something that perhaps will enable this innovation in the coming months or or, or let's see, short amounts of years. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with you that like lowering one of the things Web3 Social does broadly is lower the barrier for entry to, for people because there's not a lot of financial investment necessary to play around with some of this stuff. And I think that, you know, one of the best things about crypto and Web3 is that there's a lot of entry points that people can have, right? And like if we take Seam as another good example, I know we're shouting them out a lot today, but like most people can grasp why Seam is cool. You don't need to necessarily be some degen to like understand it. And I think that that's one thing that that Web3 Social clearly can do for the entire industry is gaming is like this too. Uh, NFTs to a degree have been like this, but I think that they've got such a, there's such a connotation attached to it. There's such a, uh, um, <laughs> not a stink, but you know what I mean? There's, there's such a, a, a misconception about NFTs broadly that like, they might not be able to do it. But what Web3 Social can do is offer interesting use cases that scratch an itch for people or at least like pique their interest to then make them want to go and explore different things. For example, you know, we were talking earlier about some of these like friend tech like experiences. You know, builder.fi is a project that I think you're on too. And like I'm there. Like builder.fi is a really great way. It's like it's kind of like if um what's that? There was like that question. What's that 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 um there's like a way to ask a question and then people respond to it. I, I'm totally blanking on what the Web2 name for this company is. But Builder.fi is kind of like that, except that there's like compensation attached. There's like, okay, this person has like a lot of people who I trust 
who trust this person as well. So there's a lot of these kind of like low, low, low barriers to entry in Web3 social, especially if you expand it out to things like Unlonely or, or, or BuilderFi, where it's like, you know, most people can understand what the value prop is. Most people can understand why that's cool. And then that might act as sort of like a, an entry point for them to the rest of this entire space, or maybe not every, every corner, but like some people become like almost onboarded or, or, or whatever, blue pilled, red pilled, whatever color in crypto. It's like they get kind of like onboarded by the fact that they have this easy entry point. And that, that to me feels like a really um, important role that Web3 Social can play for the entire like industry. It's like, get people on, get them in, get them doing stuff, trying things out without having to, you know, there was this whole, I'm sure you had heard this refrain too. And it's like, it's like, well, you, you know, you got to lose money to like learn crypto or like this sort of emphasis. No one wants to do that. Like there's a very few amount of people who are like, I'm going to throw money at this thing. I have a horrible experience. And that's how I know I paid my dues. You know, Web3 Social potentially removes that kind of uh, sentiment and that kind of um, stepping stone to get more, more interested in this space. I, I totally agree. And, and it's this, I, I think it's an ideal, it's the perfect argument around like the 2021 bull run of NFTs and like, you know, this like weird reason why everyone wanted to mint NFTs on Ethereum and they just felt that they're more like more important, they're of higher value. And you didn't mind spending $150 in gas or perhaps even more um, because it's on Ethereum. And, yeah. and that's like that's like the wrong way to <laughs> that's like the wrong way to do it like go about it but like even like you know base is is, is doing a great job yeah. like they're the, the chain the go-to chain for when it comes to like consumer crypto and yeah. like thinking about it again i think we're this close and in terms of like infrastructure we're this close like super it's 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 a matter of doing a quick, easy on-ramp with like uh, Apple Pay into a POUA. And then we're pretty much there, pretty much there. And 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 it's so easy to to set these applications up to 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 make it work and feel like a real app. Um so yeah, I, I'm I'm super bullish on, on the next uh next year, year and a half of like the things that are going to be popping up. Like even early days of social graph ventures, May is when the idea came around, May 2023. And the intensity of like the number of new projects that are popping up in social, uh, just the, the number of people thinking about this space has been growing increasingly. Yeah, I uh, I think that for a lot of projects, not just in Web3 Social, but certainly in Web3 Social, 2024 is going to be a very interesting year. Maybe we'll have to circle back in, a, in 12 months time and do a retrospective on like what what this year has been like, because I, I really feel like, you know, beyond broad market conditions, there's just a lot of, one of the things that's always inspired me about crypto since I joined, you know, full-time Zerian three years ago is like, there's such a conviction and like an emotional belief that like the things, maybe not everything that's being built, but a lot of the stuff that is being built will change the way that people do X thing. And I think it's, clear that Web3 Social is one of those directions where people are, are truly innovative. Um, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, Jakob, thanks so much. We've actually gone a little bit longer than I wanted to. This is becoming a theme, by the way, for me on this pod. I need to stop saying this. But I so appreciate you stopping by and talking about Web3 Social and uh, what, what Social Graph features. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you very much, Alex. Speak soon. Speak soon. Mm. <laughs>